I, I know that if I'm a practice owner uh, and, and I'm sitting in Charlotte and I'm seeing patients, I make decisions on which vendors I want to work with yeah. simply based on who gives me the very best products and services. How can that differentiate my practice? What is the financial incentive? And then what's the wow factor? Yeah. That's, that is the matrix that we use in my practice today. They got to meet three or four of those to become the <laughs> vendor of choice. Right. But first decision making for me is, is this clinically equivalent to everything else before I even consider That's anything right. else? That's right. So if Essilor as an investor or vision source tries to dictate something that isn't good for the practitioner, we would have a mass exit. Yeah. Doctors would say, I'm not gonna be part of this thing. I don't believe in what you're doing and they would leave. So the risk of losing people oh, keeps yeah. everyone honest. That's exactly what I've said. Keeps everyone honest. Yep. Welcome to the Chris Wolf Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great discussion with Amir Koshnevis, who is serving as the Executive Vice President and Chief Clinical Officer for Vision Source. He also has a private practice in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I've, I've known Amir for years, um, kind of peripherally, and I've, I was had the opportunity this uh, past week to sit down with him one-on-one. -on -one. I was uh, speaking at a meeting in, just outside of Atlanta, Georgia, and Amir was there as well. And I was listening to his opening remarks for about the first half hour, and I thought, this is exactly what uh, ODs and vision source ODs need to be hearing about what's going on in, uh, in our profession, outside of our profession, how we can continue to control what's going on within private practice when you hear all the other noise that's going on um, in eye care. And so uh, I asked Amir to sit down and, and have a conversation about it. And it was uh, a really great eye-opening, frank conversation. I don't think we left any stone unturned. I, as always, learned a ton. Super honored to be able to have a conversation with Amir. And it, it makes me feel good that um, people like Amir are representing our profession at the very highest levels. So with that, as always, please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review. Please enjoy this conversation and also support those who support us. Today's show is sponsored by iCode Education. At iCode Education, we create and host high-quality, relevant, COPE-approved online optometric CE. We offer practice management courses from billing and coding, e-assessment, and chart auditing to clinical courses that focus on topics ranging from the anterior segment to the posterior segment to myopia control and neurological disease. Additionally, we partner with associations to help them provide their members and non-members with online continuing education at their own pace, on their own schedule. This allows our associations to generate non-dues revenue and provide a valuable service for their members who are allowed to obtain hours from distance learning entities. Check us out at iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. One more time, E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. Well, I think Jim had a great vision. Year or two as a senior advisor to SLT so that I get to sit at the senior leadership level and listen and advise them on optometric things. But what it did was it gave me the peek behind the curtain that I needed to say, does this make sense for me to make the leap and be on the team or is it not really within my skill set? Yeah. And you know, I went into it with the knowledge that I was investigating OD leadership for the company and whether that was me, you, or someone else, I was hopefully going to be the one who shepherds optometrists onto the senior leadership team. That yeah. was the task. Okay. But I think that all along I knew that Jim wanted me to take the position. He just didn't want to say, well, would you travel every other week to Houston? That's a big thing, especially with kids. Yeah. Um, and with the practice. And with the practice. And what, uh, what happened was um, I started to feel very comfortable with with uh, the people of Vision Source. I started to feel really comfortable with the mission. Um, but you're already comfortable with the mission, just seeing it at that level yeah. is, is different. Yeah, because yeah, we all look at an organization like Vision Source uh, based on how we feel about our practice and where it belongs within the network. 
Yeah. So the perspective is really about me. If I'm a practitioner who feels that I'm involved with Vision Source only from a buying perspective, yep. then the relationship is very transactional. Right. If I serve the organization at some level and see that they support me at a higher level, then I'm willing to say, yeah, the people of Vision Source are good people. Yeah. And then if you are an administrator and you're servicing a number of members, and now your relationship is somewhat of a conduit of information, you have a different perspective of Vision Source because you start mm -hmm. to understand, hey, this is very complex. We have a lot of different members, a lot of different needs. It's no longer about me. Yep. It's kind of like having children. It's no longer about me. It's now i got to look at my children and say, what are their needs and yep. how am I going to serve them? And then as you climb the organization, I think the most incredible thing for me was the moment I realized that actually Vision Source was very much like, it's an analogy that I I've used some, it's like being a private practitioner in optometry. We think that as private practitioner, we are gonna give better service, better experience, we're going to build relationships, and that's the secret formula of a private practitioner to be successful. Mm -hmm. That it's about experience of the patient, it's about the relationships, it's about being part of a community. Uh, there's a greater sense of purpose, and I'm not putting down anyone outside of sure. private practice. Sure. That's just the belief system that private practitioners have. I don't want to contrast it to anything else. Right. That's how we see the world. What's interesting is, as I got involved with Vision Source at a high level, listened to Jim and Glenn talk about what makes Vision Source special, I was actually almost talking about the exact same thing, just a different customer. Yeah. They were like, it's about relationships, it's about purpose, it's about making sure that our practitioners believe in something and trust. It isn't about a transaction. Yep. That giving them the cost of goods is the lowest rung on the ladder of the relationship. Yep. Even though that might be at the very top of someone's needs, yep. what they don't understand is without the other stuff, we yeah. don't have a relationship. That's we right. just have a transaction. That's right. And so I think the aha moment for me was I got behind the curtain and saw people who sat and worried mm -hmm. about the perception and trust and building something special way beyond the transaction. Yeah. That's Don't you think though that that's kind of like, you know, whenever, whenever I've been on boards or anything like that, um, I've always noticed that, you know, as a member, I get to know a little bit because mainly not because I can't know anymore or they won't tell me anymore, but it's because like what kind of what you're describing is that I, I kind of learn what I think I need to learn within that organization. And then, and then, you know, you might be on the board, right? So you're as a member, now you're on the board of, let's say the Nebraska Automatic Association. And now it's like, whoa, I mean, for me, I could, I was the American Automatic Student Association. So I was on the board of the AOSA. And it's like, wow, okay, I learned all this stuff. And then I was president of the AOSA. It's like, whoa, it's a whole new, like the curtain again. And it wasn't that the curtain was closed. Right. It's just that I didn't, I didn't think to know, to want to know more about what's going on behind well, the curtain. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big believer that when you don't know a lot about an organization, uh, you tend to believe that the relationship is about consumption. You're a consumer when you are a member because mm. you have your own issues, you have your own problems. Right. You are consuming, so there's no need for you to get behind the curtain. As long as they deliver enough value, right. it right. makes sense to be just a consumer. Right. And then there are members who maybe have emotional ties because they've been in it for a long time. They start to have a sense of ownership of something bigger. Yep. So you start to see the community ties. You know, so often, a perfect example, when I announced to my local news, uh, groups that I'd be taking on a different role at Vision Source and that I would bring on a co-administrator and eventually groom them to be the administrator, what I thought was very telling, one, there were people who were happy that one of theirs was going to be serving Vision Source and they trusted me. But really the question that I heard over and over mm, again How is it going to impact me? How is this going to impact our group? Yeah. How is it going to impact me? But even more importantly, how is it going to impact this network we put together? Yeah. The, the question I got or the email I got back from several people was, I've been thinking about it. My concern is, can someone else lead and keep this group together? 
because we built something pretty special. Yeah. So you see, that's the moment you realize there's something to Vision Source that's far greater than a buying group. Yeah. That it's about those relationships that people have together. They don't want to lose that. And that may be the glue, the stickiness to Vision Source is the fact that I now feel Chris is a brother, a family member, mm -hmm. not just another optometrist. Yeah. I think that's a sense of purpose that we have as well, is that we're doing something together as opposed to apart yep. and individuals. Yeah. Do you think, so I, I wonder, I, I wonder how the perspectives have changed over the years is that, um, you know, the, uh, the people that have been in it for a very long time seems that I think at first, my, just my, my hearing stories is like they got that vision right? We are better together. We're not competitors. Um, a rising tide elevates all ships. And, um, and then there's now though, there's kind of this perception that like, um, that seems to me that most people are looking at dollars and cents first. And then once you can show that, that the, the dollars and cents make sense, that then now they get, they'll give it a chance to build those other relationships where my impression is that in the, in the early 2000s, late 90s, you know, when my dad became a member, um, it's, it's that, look, we're better together. We can help each other. And it's all about building this community. Now it seems flipped where you got to show me that this makes sense, but, you know, from a financial standpoint, but like you said, that that should be, that should work, right? That piece should work. It should be a no brainer. It should be more than worth it. But that's not where people are growing their practices. You're never gonna, you're never gonna, this is, as Mick Kling talks about, right? You're never gonna outgrow financial stuff, but you can absolutely grow. And the biggest piece of that is over time, the cumulative effect of the knowledge, the support, the, you know, the resources just within, within your community. Right. And that's such an intangible. It is. What's been your experience with, um, with that in general, not just locally as an administrator, but uh, you know, within Vision Source over the last six months that you've seen on the leadership team? No, I think um, your assertion that the money matters first to overcome the obstacle, people joining a network like ours, is very true. But part of that has to do with the fact that the market changed. Hmm. When so? Vision Source was the only group out there doing what we do, then it was really easy to show that, hey, we've got your cost of goods covered. We've got a group that together we can buy together and here you're gonna save more. It was easier. Mm -hmm. Then you had a lot of copycats who said, I do what Vision Source does and maybe the savings aren't the same, but the barrier to entry is so much lower, you don't have to pay right. or you pay less. So if the market looks at Vision Source as a buying group, yeah and they don't see what's behind that, if they really are truly just looking for dollars and cents, then the conversation is very difficult because yes, we can show them we save them the most. And even if it's a small margin better uh, than the next guy, even if we win that competition, that's not who we are. We don't even want to recruit on simply saving more than right. the other group. I'll be honest with you, uh, the biggest challenge I have is to share the message of Vision Source outside of the membership. Hmm. Within the membership, if you're in, yeah. by and large, you understand that there's far more to it than just cost of goods. Right. But when we open our doors and try to invite <laughs> someone in, it's harder today, one, because we have such a large segment of the population, right. and two, those who are not in are hearing messages from the market that says we're the same as visions right whether that's true or not yep it's unfortunate but the perception has been created right i think the challenge for us to invite people who are like-minded men and women who want to remain private who want to have the support of each other who are not so independent that they actually start working against their own interests right if they see the value of collaboration, the value of having people they trust to work with them uh, as consultants, because I got to tell you, if you came into my practice today, Chris, <laughs> you would point out at least three things that I could do better. Yeah. And you could do the same for mine. And I may be able to do the same with you. And what I know is that that's happening on an organic level 
in our networks all the time. I'm in text groups, email groups, and we have even focus groups within our network that work together to work on a specific project. I'll give you a perfect example. We all want to develop our drive clinic. Right. If I was in a buying group or if I was on my own, I would then have to look for resources, kind of white papers, and maybe attend a bunch of meetings, pay for consulting. All that is valuable and works. Yep. But what I would love to see is for someone to look inside of our network and see how often that happens organically within our doctor's practices, how often people simply send a message that says, hey, how do I make sure I maximize on my investment? I just bought this instrument. I just bought a flow and I want to know what are you guys doing? How's it working? What are the best practices? And that happens over text. Yeah. And you can solve problems and share ideas so quickly. Yeah. Effortlessly. Yeah. And we visit each other's practices. This year alone, I've had several colleagues who said, can I come by and just see what you're doing when it comes to myopia management? Yep. We learn more. I'm very interested. And I have an associate who's an incredible doc, incredible doc, and she has been able to build a myopia management practice within a subclinic within our practice and is willing to share her message with the world. But guess what? She came out of school, out of residency, joined us, and I said, whatever we create yeah. is actually community information. Yep. So why don't you lead a group meeting and you share with my local network why our group will lead myopia management in Charlotte and in Winston-Salem as opposed to, hey, this is my baby. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about it. Right. People are my competitors. Right. Yeah, it's crazy, you know, especially you bring up myopia management. I, I believe that really in, in all of primary eye care is that when, you know, if, if I'm managing uh, dry eyes, say, uh, and I'm doing it at a really high level, and it's kind of the same idea of the rising tide elevates all ships, but, you know, the, the perception of what people are getting is if, if I'm doing dry eye and people are hearing more about it and more about it and more about it because other people are doing it, then it's easier for me to have that conversation with patients. Same with myopia management. It's like, it's crazy. You know, um, I, I think about like why there's so many patients with dry eye. There's so many myopic patients. Like, why do I want to keep that to myself? That I can't manage all those patients, you know, Absolutely. it's crazy. Absolutely. And, um, and so like, it's just, it, it really takes the idea that optometry, um, you know, we were discussing earlier about how, um, you know, we're all working toward a same goal as a profession to better care for patients, to expand their access to our services, to allow more of our knowledge, education and training to be utilized by the public. And um, and then for some reason, when it comes to businesses, uh, it takes a while for you to think that um, we're not really competing. I mean, you know, on the small stuff, you, I mean, it might be like, oh, who, if the patient's going to choose this guy or that guy, right? But it's right. not, once you stop thinking about that, it's just, it's out the window. And, and the mistakes, the crazy part is um, we don't have to make as many mistakes in practice anymore because other people have made those mistakes and we learn from them, right? And the, and the new guys get to come in and they learn from my mistakes. Absolutely. And I, I, I had a conversation with um, recently, uh, with somebody that is one of my good friends that just got an optos just the first time they're practicing and they've got an amazing, I mean like a really profitable practice. They're not a vision source, but they've got a very profitable practice in a small town. And the, the types of questions that they were asking were questions that were being asked when I was still in school. Like the discussion among vision right. source, you know, 15 years ago on optos yeah. was the same discussion that he's having after 15 years. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, man, That's think sad. about 15 years of evolution of a practice that you're lagging behind. And they still have an awesome practice. Sure. I mean, not just I mean, patient care, the revenue, all that kind of stuff. What have, what have they left on the table yeah. in those 15 years? They have an awesome practice today. Imagine yeah. where they would be totally. if they had the collective think tank of vision source practices around them yeah. who were doing incredible things 10 or 15 years ago. Where would this talented practice exactly be Exactly right. It's, it's like watching your kids, right? It, they may become great people on their own. Yeah. The question is, did you invest enough time and energy in them? Did you instill enough beliefs in them to make sure you maximize their capacity to be great people as opposed to, hey, I raised a pretty good kid. And I'm not, I'm not saying that doctors are kids, just sure. an analogy. Yeah, yeah. But, but certainly what I know to be true uh, is that 
patients will choose their providers based on lots of factors. And there are so many patients that need better care that within our vision source family, there is no competition because we cannot right. see everyone right. regardless. Right. The question is, can we position our network collectively to earn the trust of a community or an area or a state or nationally eventually? Could we position our practices so that the relationship with the communities we serve is based on trust, a belief in excellence that we've projected to the market, that we invest more time and energy in education, practice development, patient experience, technology, forward thinking, that it's not a transactional relationship, right? that we are not in some way feeding an investor who's outside the practice, that we're worried about their bottom line, that we're worried about one thing, and that is the trust of the community to remain a loyal patient to a local doctor who owns a practice, he or she is fabric of the community. I've said this from the stage many times and I truly believe it, that the reason why I believe private practice matters is because the doctor who owns a practice will look at a patient and know that that relationship is far greater than a financial relationship. Yep. I have a patient in my chair who trusts me from the same community to be sitting in my chair, to take care of their eyes, to offer the best solution for them regardless of financial interest. Because my long-term relationship with that patient is far more important to me than the transactional relationship today. I think that doctors who own a practice, who are free of obligation, take better care of their patients because the relationship is a one-to-one -one relationship. Yeah. They have no one to punt to yeah. and say, that's not my decision, somebody else's. If we look at the practice of medicine or practice of optometry, if you're allowing someone who's outside of your practice to make a decision, to me, that person is practicing medicine without a license. Yeah. And I think doctors should never, ever look outside of their practice and say, how should I do this? It's crazy because that point, I mean, we are, I would say optometry, dentistry, maybe chiropractic are all that's really left as a stronghold between your direct relationship between your physician and, um, and the patient, right? There's, there's very few scenarios across the rest of the country where the physician isn't working for an entity that's owned by, by a big conglomerate that um, can dictate how they're going to manage patients, how many patients they need to see a day, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and so we're kind of this last foothold. And it, it seems to me, at least all the, all the talk and the chatter in the, in the profession, the noise, as you referred to it in our prior conversations, is that, um, that we're paying attention to kind of these other groups that want to buy and own. And I always, I always think about that. I think, you know, I've had conversations with a few people about can you own, I think you can, but can you own multiple practices and still deliver as the independent, as an independent and still deliver the same care? I think yes, but there probably is, um, there's a potential that you're going to have too many. Uh, the real problem with, with private equity I see for the profession is not necessarily for the first purchase. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's the case that, you know, right away, the whole idea is if, if we can buy enough of these practices, well, all the things that the patients liked about that one practice, eventually because of the economies of scale, because of, of the, when, when a private equity company buys it and wants to make money off of it, then um, what happens is that's going to change. Something will change about that practice. The doctor might not uh, care as much because they have to, you know, they have to see patients every single day and they don't have the freedom to do. But even, even if that's not the case, then uh, at some point, something in that practice is likely to change that the patients weren't really wasn't what the patients fell in love with in the first place. Sure. And so eventually over time, that practice cannot maintain the private practice feel. It's going to have to develop into a large conglomerate. And that really is, um, when you think about it, I've, I've heard you talk about this as well, but that's not what most people, when they build their practices, want to offload. 
they might say if they really I, I can understand you're in a pinch and you want to be able to sell your sell your practice and there's n- nobody that can afford your practice or that's the perception then I can understand why you might be in that position but if I want to still practice for a number of years and um, you know I might have control of that first roll off mm-hmm. but I don't have control any control over that second spinoff so um, so what do you what do you think what's the you know how is it the case? Have you seen this to be the case that, you know, my suspicion that you have less control and that changes the practice over time? I know that we've talked about kind of your market in North Carolina, Charlotte specifically. Yeah. What's happened with private equity in those practices? Because it's been going on for probably four or five years. That's right. What have you seen? So I want to go back to something you said and, and uh, just want to start there because I think it's important that we talk about autonomy. I think that what we're seeing is an opportunity to talk to doctors about owning more than one location or owning many locations if they want mm-hmm. as private owners. Yeah. Um, but because of the fact that we allow for our doctors as associates and as co-owners and uh, what have you to practice in an autonomous way, because the relationship is so important to the patient that we always start out by saying when clinically equivalent yep. may be considered X, Y, and Z, but it has to at least meet the clinical standards. Right. So choice is a critical component to doctor satisfaction. Hmm. Autonomy is a critical component to doctors staying true to their profession as opposed to being driven by the bottom line. I find it interesting that when I speak to doctors, especially in the Charlotte market, those who have now uh, been part of a uh, initial purchase, is that you see less and less of them in in our oh totally in our society, organization? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen the same thing. It, that that's an alarming thing. Why? Well, because I think that one they aren't particularly excited about what's happened. Hmm. The early promises. Hmm. Oh, we'll leave you alone. You can practice how you will. Let me just share it to you this way. I don't like to see that a doctor who's established a 30-year practice now is seeing patients in five locations. Yeah. I think there's a real problem. Oh, there. yeah. I don't think that they're happy with that because they have no continuity of care. What made their their patient care experience sweet was the relationship they built. And and the patients, the patients that are seeking out their care, the continuity of care is so important for the future of our profession. Just like we talked about this morning. Absolutely. I mean, how how am I going to manage a, a dry eye patient or a or glaucoma patient by seeing patients in that clinic one day a week? That's right. Or two days a week. That's right. You got to be there. You got to be you able do. to. Yeah. So you do. so it's fundamentally driven toward less choice for the practitioner, hmm. less concern about relationships. Yeah. More concern about the brand, and then. There's a simple game to be played here. Let's be very frank. Hmm. If you have one location, you sell it for X multiple. If you have five, you sell it for significantly more. Yeah. Private equity is not evil. Private equity is very clear. They know they're in it for a short game and a short turnaround. Yep. The fact that anyone sees it any other way is funny to me because it's a financial fact that there's an 18-month, a three-year. There's no way they're sticking around for longer right. than that. It's all about... Can I take many smaller practices, lump them together, and sell it to the next group for a much higher multiple, and I'm out? It is a very honest transaction, actually. Doc, I'll pay you X for your practice, but if I've got five of you, I can sell it for more. Therefore, I'm out, and I've done what I said I would do. Yep. I'm always concerned when I talk to a doctor and they say they're different. They're Mm going to let me be who I am. They're going to leave me alone. But the fact of the matter is... They can't survive. That's not who they are. Right. By definition, they're looking to exit to someone else. Yeah. That next person is holding now practices that are really now, they probably paid too much for the current practice right. as it exists. Right. So at some point, the second or third buyer has to go back and do what? Clean up the PL. Yep. They have to. There's no way to survive in the current mode. They can't get their ROI. Right. So then they have to say, well, look, let's limit choice. Let's just ex- change hours. Let's change the offering to the public. Let's do things that are really profitable and stop doing things that are not so profitable. Right. So let's get mm. back to autonomy. Mm. 
that limits the doctor's ability to practice the way they believe is best for the patient because they don't have as much choice. In the 90s, when the roll-ups were happening, if you go back and look at all the white papers of why they failed, yeah. believe it or not, number one reason was doctor dissatisfaction. Doctors exited mm. and said, I'm not doing this anymore. And the whole thing crumbled. So I want to. I want you to go back to that because I think a lot of people listening don't have that perspective that this happened before. A lot of you know a lot of the younger people don't realize that this happened in the '90s. But we can. Before we do that, what you're talking about now in terms of doc, doctors exiting. I mean, look at any just medicine journal and, and talk about doctor burnout. Doc, I mean, you know, MD burnout. It's all over the place. Well, think about how many. Probably the only. I mean. The only MDs that, that own a practice are going to be specialists, and very few of them are owning practices anymore. It's because they're being dictated to. They got to see more. Same thing. Same thing we're going through. So, um, so how? So again, I think you can see that coming with ODs. Yeah. The question is, um, talk about talk about what happened in the '90s that that kind of is seeming to replay out again. So, this is. Uh... I think this has happened every couple of decades where someone sees a value investing in healthcare. It actually is extremely profitable if you are an early in and you create all these small groups that basically someone will aggregate and say, okay, now I've got a very large group of practices that were all solo practitioners. This happened in the 90s and there were several large players that rolled up a lot of medicine, a lot of ophthalmology, and what happens is that there's usually a, a large number of losers and one or two winners. Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit. The challenge then was doctor dissatisfaction. The doctor said, I no longer feel that I am practicing independently. I no longer believe that I have the ability to take care of patients the way I should. That someone outside the practice, one layer removed from the patient, mm is making less patient-centric decisions than I would. So if you're a doctor who took an oath to take care of patients and do no harm, the problem is that you sometimes believe that you're being dictated due to financial incentives to do things that are not necessarily best for the patient. Now, I'm not saying that's happening today, but it could. And I think the real problem for us is going to be the doctors who are ready to retire and sold their practices I'm happy for them. Yeah. Fine. It's an exit strategy. But we have a lot of young ODs who need to be shown the path to, to ownership. And those practices, now that they're gone, the cost of owning a practice is going to go up. Yeah. It's going to be much more challenging to hire staff, much more difficult in a competitive environment to, to, to get into private practice. So there is a, there's a, there's a, there's a fallout the cost of running a practice significantly higher for those who are in private practice today. So there's dissatisfaction across the board, mm. inside of the sale, outside of the sale, across the board. And we're fast forwarding today to a similar situation where we have doctors who think that no one will be able to buy my practice down the road, therefore I should short sell my practice and get on today. Yeah. The problem is they've got a long career ahead of them. They're not yeah, 50 years a old. year out. Yeah, yeah, they're 50-something years old, yeah. and they've got a long career. That group is going to be the group that's going to yell the loudest. Yeah. Because it was too early to sell. I still want to practice. If I had just kept it for five years and had a modest growth, less than 5%, and if I had someone buy in slowly over those five years, yep. I would have more income from the five years I stayed in, plus I still own the practice, and I have an exit plan that's yeah. going to continue to pay me for a long time, and I get to practice independently as I wish, and exit with grace, maintaining the legacy of the practice, taking care of the community that brought me here, that took care of me, that trusted me. I think the big challenge is going to be when will we see that second or third buyer enter the market. Because we haven't yet, really. Yeah, we haven't. It's been going on for three or four years. You know, I, I, you, the, your point about um, 
you know, bringing somebody in slowly. I, I was naive when I first got out into practice. Um, and I'm so grateful to my dad and my mom. Um, I, I have not probably told them this, um, but like I should, but I, I was in a lot of ways, I missed, I missed the value of this, but I, it really struck me, Ted and I, uh, Ted McElroy and I had a conversation a couple weeks ago and, and he said the solution to this, if you're a doc that, that's got, you know, 50, 40, 50 years old, and you're thinking about an exit strategy at some point in the future is that your practice is so expensive, so valuable that you have to forget that um, that it actually has a dollar sign to it. In, in it does, but but you actually, if you want to have that practice succeed as a private practice in the future, there is something that you need to to give somebody um, that's coming in. And um, and so I really started thinking about that for the last couple of weeks. And uh, it's so uh, selfless to do that, um, and yet it probably makes that doctor long-term, like you're talking about, significantly more money than if they just completely sold it at one one shot. But you know, my parents were um, gracious enough to gift me portions of that as I buy in over the years, right? And so, um, so I could never have afforded the practice when I got out of school. And I could have never, I would never have certainly been able to buy the practice at what we're doing now without having this process of gift and purchase every year to get me to that point. And so, um, so like, I'm so grateful that that was the case. And some, sometimes you might think, well, that's easy because it's family, but at some point you're going to have to say, you know, look, uh, what you're doing in our practice is worth something. And that something is going to be worth long-term. How am I going to transition this practice into somebody else to somebody else in a way that's affordable at least for them and still beneficial to me long term? It's just hard to look past that. This is the lump sum I want versus, like you're saying, the five year aggregate effect of that growth and Absolutely. and and the long term generation of the fact that you've got somebody in the practice that cares about the practice that's learning from you that that's holding your values in the practice. It's um. I'm super grateful that my parents uh, were able to do that, and I'd love to see it more and more. Well, I think that you you, you hit the nail on the head, and I think Ted is uh, is exactly right. We, as an organization, Vision Source, uh, are working every day to find opportunities to position doctors um, in a in a uh, in a buying situation so that we can help our doctors transition out. Now, we're looking for opportunities where we can close the gap. That if you want to sell your practice today at a six multiple, right? But let's say that a young OD can't afford that at that price, but they can do a four multiple. And then if you simply work with us over a few years, and we can help you bring that doctor on slowly mm -hmm. through um, you know strategic buying over that time, and um, understand that. In five years, you have a doctor now that is part owner of the practice. You have had your net profit from the practice during that time. We've given you a better quality of life with hopefully a little bit more time off. And we have had modest growth. Uh, you can sometimes more likely double the yeah. ROI to your practice yeah. if you simply give it a few years. So it's always the problem when we hear someone says, well, I'm ready to retire tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, man. That's a tough one. It is. Um, but even then, we would like to have an opportunity to be able to find a buyer for a great practice that we believe is a pillar of, you know, private practice is in a community where we want to stay private and let a doctor continue to serve that community. We want to know first and we want to be able to try to position people to buy it. I traveled the country and visited almost uh, half the schools last year and as an organization, Vision Source visited every single school. Mm -hmm. In some capacity, we, we uh, present to the private practice clubs, to the schools, um, practice management uh, courses. And what we found is uh, kind of compelling. Students want to go into private practice. <laughs> they absolutely do. Yep. Um, they certainly get beat up by a lot of messaging about why that's not viable. But when they hear us, when they hear the vision source is helping, um, they jump to the opportunity. We have had... Uh, well over 1,300 students who have signed up for our next community so that they can be connected to doctors. The idea that they don't want to go into small town, I think we created this issue. 
because we didn't market small towns properly to yeah, students. Yeah. We certainly didn't show the value and the quality of life of a small town practitioner to those students early on to create the perception, to make sure that the framing is done so they say, hey, this is something I want to do. And so when you take your eyes off the ball for so many years and all they saw was commercial opportunities in, in urban areas, right. and when you're debt heavy, you're told you can't buy a right. practice. Right. So then we became very binary. I have to buy a practice or I'm going to go somewhere else. Right. It didn't become a transition plan. We right. didn't have structure. And so today when we talk about small towns and we, we share the story of what we do across the country and why maybe buying an ongoing concern in a small town becomes one of the best opportunities oh gosh, for investment. Yes. I'm telling you, there's at least 10 to 20% of the room that's absolutely wide-eyed you know, and, 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 and excited about the opportunity. So we have a real opportunity to make that happen today if we just focus on it. We, yeah. we have to put our energies in connecting those doctors with students at an earlier point in their development and get them excited about taking over a practice that's going to be an incredible investment in their entire life. Nothing else that will ever invest in, I dare say, will give them a better ROI than owning a practice throughout their lifetime. Totally right. And so you control your destiny. You control the way you practice. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, when, um, when I think about the same thing, I, I, it always kills me, you know, when I was, um, when I would talk to students, uh, helping them prepare for their examinations, and um, I would always ask, like, how many of you want to be in private practice? And like, you know, 90, 100% of hands were going up, right? Everybody wants that. And yet the reality of what was happening is very few would wind up there if they had a, a relationship or if they were, you know. But, um, but then, again, the idea that I don't want to be in a small town, there's almost no small towns that, like, I always think, like, if I, if I couldn't be in Omaha, I would be, I would have probably picked small town Nebraska or small town Oklahoma to stay. And, um, and you start thinking, okay, well, you could learn how to fly, right? Like, learn how to fly a plane. It makes any place in the country within an hour and a half like a big city. But even then, if you don't want to do that, uh, I mean, you have the money to do it because you're the only guy around. You know, you're, you, you want to buy, you know, think about like buying property in Charlotte, right? Buying property in Omaha, it's almost completely un unreachable. But buying a parcel of land in Wayne, Nebraska, or you know, uh, Norfolk, Nebraska, I mean, you, it's much more affordable. And now all of a sudden, you don't just have a revenue stream from your practice, but you have a revenue stream from the building. And you know, it, so it's, it's like, um, I, I think more, I think you're right. I think more people would want to do it if they understood that you know, an hour away, it's not far. No. You know, an hour away from, okay, I wanna go shop, I wanna, I wanna be around shopping and entertainment. Yeah. And, like, well, if I'm in Omaha and I want to drive downtown in traffic, it's going to take me a half hour. I was going to say same thing. Yeah. So, so it's like, you know, I, I might be able to be from the edge of West Omaha to, um, to a smaller community that has no other eye care uh, within an hour. That's nothing. You know, it's just not. And so um, the shifting perspectives are important. Yeah. And, and I think... Uh... One point we, we talked about earlier, now medicine is far ahead of us when it comes to this roll-up idea. Yeah. And I find it interesting that in my town, we see this large exit, number of doctors leaving the two mm. healthcare systems and creating their own entities. <laughs> and honestly, setting up across the street from the healthcare system yeah. uh, amazes me because I'm sure they had some pretty expensive uh, restrictive covenants and they said I'm willing to pay that just to go and practice for myself yeah so we got to learn from those experiences we have to understand that our profession is worth fighting for our profession is going to be fine regardless I'm not saying that the profession is sure threatened, but private practice will remain in my opinion as the very best way for a doc like you and I to come out of school, to make an investment in our lifetime, to practice the way we want, to have the freedom of choice, to have autonomy, to have the ability to um, make decisions that are purely for the good of the patient and with no financial incentive 
and go to bed at night knowing that we've done the right thing. I think one of the most critical components of the chemical makeup of our vision source doctor, I shared this today with the members here in Georgia, um, that a critical component to uh, the success of our network, success of our doctors, and what I think cannot be replicated through transactional relationships, buying groups, um, private equity, uh, working for uh, a system, is that doctors who believe that the greatest defense against any noise outside of my practice is this belief that I will do the right thing. I will do right by my community. I'll do right by my staff. I will take great care of my patients. And success will come because of law of reciprocity. Because if I do the right thing, then things will take care of themselves. Yeah. I, I'm amazed by the number of senior docs that I talk to today who say, none of that bothers me. None of this yeah. noise bothers yeah. me. They're like, Amir, it's all about what I do inside the lane and with the patient sitting in front of me. When I look them dead in the eyes and I take great care of them and I have forever, yep. I dare anyone to come take that patient away. Yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing it's totally thing. Totally true. Right. And that's a that's a that's a secret formula to success in private practice. And it is as a collective in vision source. We are we are a gathering of doctors who believe in that. Yeah. I know that to be true because when I speak to the crowd and I speak to our core values and who we are as an organization, who we strive to be, that's when I have the most number of people nodding their heads and the most number of conversations afterwards. But you get on stage and your only message as a professional, if I was up there as a professional, my only message was, hey, get rich quick technique. Right. It's interesting. Right. Let's say majority of the room is already checked out. Yep. It's not because they're foolish. It's because they know that's a tactic. That's not a recipe for success. That's what I do today. Yeah. But when we teach them how to be professionals and take great care of patients, how to make sure they bill and code properly, how to make sure that we have the investment in technology, the system set up, how do we project 10, 20 years ahead and say, what's coming? How are we gonna make sure that you are on the cutting edge of practice? Everyone's in. Yep. Everyone's listening. Yep. So that's what binds us, you know, and uh, I share that with students all the time. And it's funny, the perception of vision sources change dramatically. Hmm. Years ago, I'd walk in and I'd say, who knows about vision source? And I would hear this almost every time. Buying group. It's a buying group. Yep. I've heard it's a cult. Yeah. Yep. And I'm okay with yep. both of those things because yep. yep. it can be yep. seen that way. Because it's hard to understand, what is this organization? Yeah. Are we talking buying? Are we talking about you getting together and having social meetings? So foreign, so foreign to people it's outside. It is. I had a conversation with uh, Aaron Warner about this and he said, it's like trying to tell somebody to eat chocolate, like what chocolate tastes like if they've never had chocolate. <laughs> exactly. You know, it, and really it's like, it's like, just come to a meeting. Just come to a meeting, there's no obligation, check it out. And, and you know, people will walk away and it's like, holy cow, like, like this is what, this is what, practicing can be like this is i mean they're so it's so foreign to, to people how open you can be how honest you can be you were talking we were talking earlier about um you know just the ability you know um people break down you know people break down in tears because they, when they had a problem you know in their practice the fire or they had cancer or they had you know something somebody else was there to take over their practice and they did it because they believed in private practice enough to help that doc when they Absolutely. when they didn't have other help, Absolutely. and um, and that's what it's really all about. It's, I mean, it's it's all about that coming together, moving forward in a in a um, in a common goal to better take care of patients and and deliver better care. And so so then then the idea of the cults, the idea of the buying groups, right? The the kind of uh, eight hundred pound gorilla in the room is. Well, how can I still remain independent when we have investors in Vision Source that that might be something else? So, what you know, what what do you hear when when people say, or what do you say to people that says, well, I don't, you know, I'm not going to align with you because of Essilor or because of Luxottica. What what's the answer to that? How how do I still have choice because of the alignment with those companies? Yes, that's a incredibly important question. 
uh, I'm going to respond as Amir Kashnev's practice owner as well as an executive on the company. I want you to hear from both sides. Yeah. The first thing I would say is it's a valid question that must be answered. You cannot ignore a question like that. It's dangerous and uh, it leads to miscon misconceptions and misperceptions of who we are and what we do. I always remind folks that the beauty of the way we've structured this organization is that you are 100% owner of your organization. That in fact, Vision Source cannot and will not in any way dictate how you practice or even suggest on how you should practice. All we can do is educate on best practices and it's up to you to implement. If you invite us into your practice to help you with some initiative, we will do that. We have white glove treatment from people who come into your practice and simply help you. When they walk out, you have zero obligation to do anything. Even though you invited them in, you don't have to do it. <laughs> right. That's something, sorry to, to yeah, deviate. Sure. That is something that people don't know about is that if you want to implement a program in your practice, yes. uh, there are, and you want to use those tools, they're completely at your disposal to help you implement that program. And if you don't want to use it afterwards, you don't use it. You don't use it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, the entire structure of organization was set up on doctor choice. And we respect the fact that Dr. A and Dr. B may want to practice completely differently, but they want to have access to best practices. They want to have access to each other and they want to form an opinion based on their beliefs, their core values, their patient base. So independence uh, has a, uh, it's sometimes a double-edged sword because at some point you can just simply work against your best, your own financial interests yeah. because you just want to. And we have to sit by and say, okay, as long as we've made sure that doctor is aware of the best practices, yeah. we cannot enter the practice. Now that's speaking from vision source perspective. So I want to just make sure we establish that, that everybody is a hundred percent owner and they are a member of vision source and they can practice and do whatever they like. So an investor in the holding company of vision source is so far removed from the practice that Frankly, they may not, they, they're there, but the relationship to the doctor is completely independent of Essilor relationship with Vision Source. The doctor continues to be on their own. They, don't, they have no obligation. That's, I think, a big common misconception. I think, yeah, I think there's probably people that are outside of Vision Source or maybe even inside of Vision Source that have, se has seen some of the changes over the last few years yeah. that, that worry that Essilor is going to come in and dictate what I do. Exactly. The exact thing that exactly. we had discussed. Exactly. And you know, it, it's interesting to me because um, I, I know that if I'm a practice owner uh, and, and I'm sitting in Charlotte and I'm seeing patients, I make decisions on which vendors I want to work with yeah. simply based on who gives me the very best products and services, how can that differentiate my practice? What is the financial incentive? And then what's the wow factor? Yeah. That's, that is the matrix that we use in my practice today. They got to meet three or four of those to become the <laughs> vendor of choice. Right. But first decision making for me is, is this clinically equivalent to everything else before I even consider That's anything right. else? That's right. So if Essilor is an investor of vision source, tries to dictate something that isn't good for the practitioner, we would have a mass exit. Yeah, Doctors would say, I'm not gonna be part of this thing. I don't believe in what you're doing and they would leave. So the risk of losing people oh, keeps yeah. everyone honest. That's exactly what I've said. Keeps everyone honest. Yep. And the second thing you should know is that I'm now sitting behind the curtain and I have leaders like Jim Greenwood, Jeff Duncan, who are not optometrists, but absolutely believe in the mission of the organization that Glenn founded. And they want to do things that are doctor-centric and are good for the profession and the doctors that we serve. Essilor remains an influence when it comes to big projects, what can we do to drive member value, my relationship with Essilor is almost always exclusively, how can we increase member value? I mm. kid you not, mm. on my word, never has there been a directive that said, do this because it's good for Essilor, yeah. do this because it's good for Vision Source. Do this because it meets the value prop that we said we would deliver to members. 
And when I've challenged anything that I felt wasn't great for optometry or wasn't great for vision source, not only have they listened, they lean in mm. and they say, why? Mm. Why do you feel that way? And when I share with them and it's compelling, end of the conversation. Yeah. Pretty impressive, I have to say. And if, it, if you don't believe me, and I'm new to the organization, <laughs> we have ODs that are now about a dozen, two dozen ODs that are serving the organization. If you share, if you have the same conversation with them, whether they're on the advisory board, whether they're senior advisor to the company, they will tell you it's an impressive thing to watch. People listen, take notes, go back, reconstruct, and say, does this meet the needs of our optometrists? Yes. Yeah. We have a brilliant idea, Doc. Here's what we want to do. And I say, yeah, that's not, not so great at the practice level. Right. And they say, why? And I share, and I see pens of the paper. And then they come back and they say, huh, that was awesome. Thank you for the suggestion. Here's what we have. It looks better, feels better. And we know that it's going to serve the doctors first and the rest of us will win. Yeah. And that's the truth. Now, I want to address something else. So you've got Essilor making purchases outside of the private practice space. Essilor Exotica, I should say. And that's been uh, in the news recently. And while on the surface, that can be jarring to private practitioners because you think, well, how can you be an investor in Vision Source, but also be an investor in, say, Grand Vision? I would make no claims at all about what Essel Exotic is going to do. I have no idea. Um, but I do know this. I do know that uh, they value Vision Source and their alliances. They value the, the fact that those alliances, especially Vision Source, are incredibly important, profitable uh, assets. But they also know that those doctors are their best clients because that's really where they have their profitability. Right. Their premium users or premium products, I should say. They use the premium products. Now, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to compete with those docs right. because you will be hurting your own best interest. Uh, so for us, it's important to note that Everybody in this space right now is trying to shore up what's important uh, to get access to patients. How do I get access to the end user? Right. So they will do business outside of private practice. But we as Vision Source leadership have a voice and a seat at the table and influence the organization on what matters to the U.S. and what matters to our doctors. And they listen. I worry about decisions that are being made outside of vision source with entities who don't listen, mm. who don't care about what we think, right. who may want to compete. Right. And so from my perspective, um, I would want people to realize that vision source is acting independently and in the best interest of our doctors. We simply have to make sure that we deliver the right programs to our members and that utilization is high because it makes sense yeah. and not force anything to anyone because we can't, we simply cannot. Right. That's not who we are. You know, I think, uh, I, I think there's, again, um, when I heard the news, you know, years ago, I was, I was kind of, wow, this is, you know, this is interesting and does it make sense? And, but the thing that, that, um, cause I can say that it's true. Right. And you know, people might listen and say, I don't know if that's really true. Like they might be able to dictate this or this, but I can tell you, I agree with you. There's nothing, you know, Essilor has to come to us with, with the same, you know, excellent products, excellent services, better pricing, all of that stuff has to, to align. And if it does, then we're going to use them. But the other thing is like you said, which I think is very important is to think now we have a, a you know, you want to be independent. As long as you can remain independent in the decisions you make, then isn't it nice to have other people that understand, that have, that have the ability to reach into systems in ways that we can't do as an individual practitioner to influence the way those systems are actually rolled out because we have input into them? Wouldn't you rather have that? That's right. I mean, it, it, right. it, it actually makes a lot of sense. Like, like, I think I've been a little bit more explicit in, in talking about this than you, but if Essilor does anything that just is completely ridiculous and doctors, they will lose 20%, right? Like if they decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dictate one year, 20% of vision source Every, gone. The right. next year, 20% of vision that's source right. gone. Every I mean, year. within five years, their investment is completely gone. That's right. And that doesn't make sense to anybody. 
So why not continue to deliver you know, great products and services, but also why not make sure that, that there's a differential within Vision Source that allows us to continue to have input into other systems that are developed and other ways to um, have access to patients like you're talking about. So I think, um, yeah, it's, it, I'm glad that we had to, I'm glad that you addressed, you allowed me to ask that question. Well, like, I appreciate allowed, you. But, I appreciate you answering it in that way because it's difficult for me to say it in my position. I think it's really important that the honest conversation is had about how can we utilize S. Laurel Exotica's might and power? How can we tap in to all the knowledge base that comes from outside of private practice and utilize those products, services, the intelligence to better our practices, to be more competitive. Because the, like the old saying goes, you either drive the train or you get run over by yep, the train. I right. mean, it's, it, it is what it is. And so I've, always, I've, I've often really appreciated the way that our private practitioners vision source say, if you bring me a program that is better, or you bring me a product that is better, I'm willing to adapt, I'm willing to adopt, I'm willing to maximize and use it. I think that's the great thing about collaborative effort that we have at Vision Source is that there's one, a bit of safety. You sit in a room and you look at your colleagues and you go, are you gonna do it? Yeah, I'm gonna do it, yeah, why? Right. Here's, here's what I'm doing, here's why it's working. It's, it's a bit going viral within our organization. Yeah. I, I remember the days when OCTs were rolling out. And I was at the exchange. It's almost like a competition. It was. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't whether or not you're buying one. It was which one am I going to buy. Yeah. I mean, all three companies were there. They were, they were pitching their OCTs. And I was walking around just soliciting, okay, Harvey, which one do you yeah. have? You know, Jim, which one do you have? And what I found was that within a matter of a couple of hours, I had made my decision and I purchased uh, an OCT. Frankly, I came in saying, maybe I'll purchase an yeah. OCT. But why was that so important? If you look back, instead of waiting another year or two, and I jumped on early, oh, yeah. I was able to not only take care of patients better than ever before, yep. but think about the financial gain. Now, if you're on an island and you were sitting back to see where the market is, you are three years behind, yep. at least. Yep. And for me, it's the same thing when it comes to the relationship that we have with SLO or Luxottica. They are an investor. We should look at them and say, hey, if you want a highest return on investment in our practices, deliver the best products and services, make sure the members say yes, because you got to win them over. They have a decision. Yep. If you can't win them over, that's right. shame on you. And when they came out with the packages, the bundles, and they rolled them out, and it was so widely used, people think, oh, it must be something that's more dictated if you're on the outside. Right. But you right. realize... There was nothing other than just rolling out a program that absolutely made sense. It's something we've been waiting for. Make this easier, yeah. simpler, make the patient experience better. Yeah. I mean, hold on to your hat. I can't wait to show you the next couple of programs that we have coming out. Uh, and Exchange will be an eye-opener for some folks mm -hmm. on how we can improve the patient experience, the opticians' lives, the staff time, profitability, by addressing one sore point in our practices mm. for a long time, which is how do I maximize my profitability with any type of patient that walks through the door by making better decisions, more intelligent decisions, systemizing the process of, of billing. This is oh, something, yeah. this is something oh, that yeah. will help us tremendously in the years uh, to come. And how do, we, how do we get here? Because we have resources, because yep. we have human capital, because we have investors that can invest in such things. I'm really excited about the future of Vision Source. I'm really excited about having people like you serving to better our doctor's knowledge base on the coding side and our AMD protocol. I thank you for the time, energy, the effort, the expertise. Um, uh, people like you and dozens of other ODs who are serving our doctors are going to make a huge difference in private practice. I have no doubt in my mind. This is not even about vision source. It's far greater than that. Yeah. Far greater than that. I think that we collectively as ODs have a heart in the right place and we will make sure that the professionals that are surrounding us at vision source 
will deliver the products that you and I have a vision that they have the mic to put it together. We come together and we roll out something that I think we'll be very proud of in the years ahead. So future is extremely bright as far as I'm concerned. Um, I wouldn't bet my entire career, my reputation and my practice life and time away from family if I didn't believe wholeheartedly that Vision Source is in the right place at the right time to protect private practice, to deliver high value to our doctors, to serve the patients that we love and we want to see taken care of for years later. Amen, brother. Thanks, brother. That's, uh, that's the way to end it. All right. Thanks for being on. Thanks. Appreciate it. Appreciate you.